0: Well, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> Just a uh, quick announcement here before we get started. For, for any of you men, um, pretty soon is the time when people make uh, commitments, uh, New Year's resolutions, exercise and stuff more. But well, we have to exercise a little bit more spiritually, and uh, we're going to be having a men's devotional time with a partner. Um, so we're going to be ordering some supplies for that pretty soon. So if you would please let me know any interest you have in that uh, in the next week or two. If, uh, by listening to the particularly the last verse there read, if you have any, and the, listening at the title to go forth, the kind of the theme of this uh, message today is going to be about um, kind of a call to action. And uh, I guess I have to make a little disclaimer on that, just like, you know, you, you look at all these, Things that get ad- particularly these drugs and stuff advertised on TV—they always have a disclaimer, you know, may cause, but you know, they got these old list of things. Well, my disclaimer is this message needs to be directed at me as well as each and every one of you. So, with that, if we would just have a, just a brief moment of silent prayer. Amen. In uh, in his popular Christian song Thank you, uh, Ray Boltz wrote the following words I dreamed I went to heaven and you were there with me. We walked upon the streets of gold beside the crystal sea. We heard angels singing, then someone called your name. You turned and saw this young man, and he was smiling as he came. The words go on to describe all the people's lives that this person had touched. Oftentimes in our quarterlies, we spend a little bit of time on the epistles of Paul. And uh, there was a, a great man of God who touched a lot, a lot of lives. But he also endured, his life wasn't totally easy, though. He endured some incredible hardships for God. In 2 Corinthians 11:22 through 28, it describes a couple of things he went through. Uh, it says that five times he received 40 stripes minus one. Three times he was beaten with rods. He was stoned once. He was shipwrecked three times. He suffered the perils of robbers from the Jews and the Gentiles. He suffered in the cities out in the wilderness, and he suffered in the sea. Yet, kind of like an Energizer bunny, he just kept going. He just kept, he kept persevering. There's many, many lives that he touched, in many, many ways he touched lives, even through, throughout this time. Well, there's many things we can do as well. But, unfortunately, we let things get in our way. But what our scripture, it introduced, uh, it told the believers that they were instructed to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Would that not apply to us as well? We're going to have a couple stories today about uh, literature evangelists, men who put their, put their faith right out there, and they go out and they, they, they do God's work. First one is going to start off here. It occurred in 1959. A literature evangelist drove his 1949 Dodge Sedan into a farmyard down in the deep south, in a very isolated area. In fact, it was so isolated that they would typically see one vehicle a day on the road, and that was in the dry season, and that was the mailman. When it was wet, nobody, would, nobody could drive down this road. But somehow this... Salesman, this literature evangelist, he got in, the, got in the yard. He was able to sneak past the dog that guarded the six people that lived there. And even though it was chore time, he was able to round all six of the people up, greeted him with a shake of hand, set his satchel on a bale of straw, pulled out some books, and tried to make a sale. Professional salesman he was not, not in dress or in speech, but he still was out there trying. But as hard as he tried, the father just would not... He was just not interested. Finally, he made a bargain with him. I will leave you this one book, Bible Readings for the Home Circle, and come back in one week. At that time, you can either purchase it or return it. Okay, he agreed. Well, when he pulled out of that driveway, I'm not sure that literature evangelist knew just how many lives he was going to touch that day. That father, who rarely read, well, that night he sat down in his chair and he read. He read that book. In fact, he read that book every single night that week. The week went past and the old Dodge returned. The literature evangelist greeted the father out on the porch. And the father said, I think we'll have to take that book, but we'll need a Bible to go with it. Well, obviously the literature evangelist, he eagerly obliged with him. The net effect was... This simple man of God, who was not much of a salesman, sold the Christian book and a Bible to a man who was not a Christian. Because of that, the father started taking his family to a little Baptist church down the road, a couple miles down the road. Eventually, he was asked to teach Sunday school. Well, in doing that, he would prepare his lessons from the book, the Bible readings from the home book, and uh, he would keep bringing up the Sabbath issue. Well, it didn't sit too well with the pastor there. Then. It led to a little visit from the pastor to the to the family when the father was out in the field working and the, and the pastor went and stopped in and visited the mother and he said in a rather strong loud voice he suggested to her that those boys of, of yours are going to burn in hell if he doesn't give up that Sabbath issue. Well, the father was a man of strong convic- convictions, so he pulled his family out of that little Baptist church and he started attending or he he reconnected with the literature evangelist. And uh, this man would drive 30 miles to pick him up, and he would drive 50 miles in another direction, all to bring him to uh, Sabbath service. Later, two more children were born, so the total of six children. And eventually, three of those six children would serve as den- in denominational leadership positions, including one being Elder Stan Patterson, the ministerial director of the Georgia Cumberland Conference. Do you think that literature evangelist, the man who was known as Uncle John to that family, do you think he knew the effects that it would have of selling that one book, how it would touch countless lives? We have opportunities all around us as well to touch and make a difference in people's lives. But what is stopping us? Too often we let things like pride, <clears throat> coveting, fear, dis- dis- uh, discouragement, and impatience, we let them get in the way, preventing us from doing all that we can. David, in the book of Psalms 23, he gave us some strong encouragement for those situations. In verse 1, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, if the Lord is my shepherd, why do I want so many things, and why do I have all this excess pride? In verse 2, he said, He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters. Can you think of anything really more tranquil and peaceful than green pastures and still waters? Well, if he's leading me there, why am I so impatient? In verse 4, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff that comfort me. If the Lord is by my side. How can I have such fear? Well, unfortunately... It's not always that easy, is it, to just read some Bible verses and try and apply them to our lives and become warriors for Christ. We, we, we all have excuses. We all have obstacles that kind of get in our way. They prevent us from being the witnesses for Christ that we should be. But even some great men in the Bible, they had, they had struggles. Um, there's probably few men that are more well-known or revered than Moses in the Bible yet he had some awful struggles. In the book of Exodus, Exodus, if you look in Exodus 2, it tells the story of Moses and how he was miraculously saved as an infant uh, by by Pharaoh's uh, daughter. And it also tells how he killed the Egyptian in that chapter, and he fled to Midian. It was there in Midian where he married Jethro's daughter and he worked as a shepherd. For 40 years, he worked as a humble shepherd and it was doing this, working as a shepherd, that he learned patience, and he learned how to temper his passions. He learned not to rely on human strength, but on the power of God. In those beautiful hills, he saw the maj- majestity of the Most High, and he became patient, reverent, and humble. Here, he also remembered the plight of his people, and he would lift, lift prayers up daily to God. Life was good until he saw that burning bush, and he went to investigate. And it was at that bush that God spoke to him, he spoke to him by name in Exodus 3-4. And he laid out his purposes for calling him there in Exodus, in those verses 5 9 nine three five through 9 In verses 10-14, through 14, there's a little back and take with God and Moses, where God gets specific in verse 10 and says, I will send you, verse 11, Moses says, Who am I? Verse 12, God says, I will be with you. Looking for another excuse, Moses says, Well, what is your name? God responds in verse 14, I am who I am. And through verse 22 there, he lays out his plans in some rather strong words. We see in Exodus 4, one that Moses, he's still not convinced. And uh, he responds, well, suppose they do not believe me. In verse 2 to 4, God instructs him to throw down that serpent, or throw down his rod. It becomes a serpent, and simply by grabbing its tail, it turns back into a rod. It doesn't convince Moses yet. Verse 10, he said, I am not eloquent. I am slow of speech. Maybe you can give Moses a little bit on that, because he had been away from the language for 40 years, and he probably lost a little bit of his command of the Egyptian language. But God responds in verse 11. Who has made man's mouth? In verse 13, Moses still tries to get out of it and says, please, send someone else. See, Moses was highly skilled, and he was a very talented man, but he let fear, he let discouragement, he let them get in his way. After God had promised to be with him and remove the difficulties, any further complaining on Moses' part showed a distrust of God. Now, just a a quick comparison of Jesus and Moses. You see that both of them were saved in Egypt from uh, Satan's attempts to destroy him. But at a pivotal time in their their life, Moses' first response was, please send someone else. And Jesus said, not my will, but thy will. Eventually, Moses did go, but he did let fear and discouragement affect him for quite some time. If we look at Adventist history, We can also see the story how fear and discouragement have affected some early would-be leaders. From the book, The Early Years, uh, from 1827 to 1862, Arthur White tells the story of a man named Hazen Foss. See, before that first vision was given to Ellen White, it was given to Hazen, and he was told to tell others about it. But he was a man who had just went through the great disappointment of 1844, And he felt a little bit deceived. And he also knew that ridicule and scorn would accompany anyone at that time who would claim to have a vision from God. So he refused. He told God he would not do it. A second time, the Holy Spirit came to him and told him he had a vision, he had something he wanted to tell people. And he was instructed if he refused, this vision would be given to someone else. It would be given... The spirit would be placed on the weakest of the weak. Well, Hazen still felt that he could not do that. He refused. He would not do it. Suddenly, a very strange feeling overcame him, and the feeling was, "You have grieved away the spirit of the Lord." Frightened, Hazen felt. Hazen to, to, now told the Lord that he would do it. He would reveal the vision, and he called a meeting for that purpose. He recounted his experience, but when it came time to recount the vision that he had, he couldn't recall a single word, not even with the most intense concentration he could muster. And he cried out, I can say nothing, and the spirit of the Lord has left me. Somewhat later, he heard Ellen White speaking at a chapel. He stood outside, and he heard every word that she said, and he realized that the Lord has shown her what he had first shown him, in a conversation with Ellen White, he re- he related to her how he was proud and how he had murmured against God. And the vision that had been given to him had been given to her. And his advice, simple advice to her was, do not refuse to obey God. Well, we, we've just li- listened to a couple stories of two men here. Both suffered from fear and discouragement. One eventually agreed and eventually... Great things were accomplished through him, through his witness. The other refused and carried the burden of guilt. Should we be afraid? Should we be afraid to spread the gospel? I mean, should we be afraid of failure? I mean, have you ever failed before? Parents, the first time your child tried to walk, did they fall down? Did you tell them to stay there because you didn't want them to hurt themselves? The first time you went swimming, wasn't there somebody there with you Anybody who ever played baseball, did you hit a home run the first time you were up? You know Babe Ruth, who many people consider one of the greatest players of all time, he struck out 1,330 times. He also hit 714 home runs. Douglas MacArthur, the great military leader, he was turned down two times getting into West Point before he finally made it in. Michael Jordan, some of you might have heard of him, he was cut from his basketball team as a sophomore. Winston Churchill, leader in, in Great Britain. He failed sixth grade, and it was at 62 years old before he finally became prime minister. Modeling student, Norma Jean Baker. She was told she better learn secretarial work or get married. You might have heard of her, Marilyn Monroe. 1954, Jimmy Denny, manager of the Grand Ole Opry. He told a fellow by the name of Elvis, he fired a fellow by the name of Elvis Presley after one performance. And he told them, you ain't going nowhere, son. You ought to go back to driving a truck. After he invented the telephone in 1876, Alexander Graham Bell was told by President Rutherford Hayes, that's an amazing invention, but who, in the, who would ever want to use one of them? <laughs> Thomas Edison, the inventor of the light bulb, it took him 2,000 experiments before he got it right. A reporter asked him how it felt to fail, too many, fail that many times, and he said, I never failed once. I invented the light bulb, just what I wanted to do. It, just, it was just a 2,000-step process. Well, what, do all these pe- what did all these people possess? What one thing did they really have? They were all passionate about what they were doing. Do we have something to be passionate about? A few Bible verses here. Isaiah 40:31 But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not be faint John 14:3 And if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may also be 1 Thessalonians 4:16 and 17 for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, <clears throat> and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. Revelation 21 and 22, they describe the new Jerusalem and the river of life with almost a beauty beyond imagination. Revelation 22:12. The Lord says, and behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Once again, do we have something to be passionate about? The second story about a literature evangelist was a man who had a lot of passion, and his name was Waller, and he worked in the state of Mississippi down in the early 1900s. Little could he have known the effect of selling one book, called Bible Footlights to a man named W.E. Cooper. W.E. Cooper happened to have a sister named Sarah Ann McKee. After reading that book, Sarah Ann and her husband were were convinced and were baptized. Later in 1921, Sarah Ann and her husband were housing a literature evangelist, letting him board there, and he would tell stories of of his adventures. And one of their sons, O.D., he became... He really was excited about listening to him, and he wanted to be a literature evangelist. So well, they, they said, we'll let him go. He'll just get it out of his system right away, and, you know, and then that'll be it. But O.D. actually did quite well. He worked at it several, several summers. And later on, after starting his baking business, McKee Foods, he stated how the lessons he had learned as a literature evangelist, they served him well. Well, if you have ever eaten a Little Debbie product, you've eaten a product from McKee Foods. Today, McKee Foods employs over 4,500 people worldwide. Numerous schools, churches operate worldwide because of the generosity of McKee Foods. Could that literature evangelist, could he have known the long-term effects of his action? Do we know the effects of our actions when we do them for the Lord? Or, unfortunately, maybe our missed opportunities when we fail to act? Each of us have different skills. We have different temperament, but God wants us to utilize them. From the book Manuscript Releases, Volume 2, pages 296 and 297, Ellen White writes, A neglect when the work is laid before you is as wrong as to perform some sinful action, for in neglecting your duty, you fail to supply your link in the chain of God's great work. Or maybe you prefer the words of Jesus in Matthew twenty five, twenty six, after the lazy servant who hid the hid the one talent, what did he refer to him as? You wicked and lazy servant. Well, you may not be able to preach, you might may, may not be able to teach or sing, but there's something you can do, no matter how small it is. Everything is important. How many of you have ever seen Niagara Falls there? It's Quite, quite beautiful, but there's quite a gorge between the U.S. and the Canadian side. Before they built that bridge, a lot of people died trying to ferry across there. And in 1848, they started to building a bridge. You know what's the first thing they did? The first thing that started them to be able to build that bridge is a boy flew a kite across from one side to the other. So then they tied a string to that, pulled it back across, and then a bigger string. And they kept pulling bigger strings until they were able to pull cables. and. And then the men were able to work. If we open up to the Lord's leading, he can find something for us to do, even if it's small. Philippians 4.13 tells us, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In our scripture today, he's asking us to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Would that not include our family, our friends, our co workers, and our contacts? In Isaiah 6 8, we hear the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah responds, Here I am, Lord. Send me. Well, what is your response to God? Can He send you? Will you go for Him? I'm glad there were people in my life who gave to the Lord, who went for them. You know, starting off probably my mother, who was probably our spiritual influence in our family when we were young. You know, when I did college, a uh, man named Jeff Sprecher, who, you know, in college you kind of want to take this side trail, but he, he was kind of uh, there and helped steer me back several times. I'm thankful for Christian Radio. I'm thankful for this church, the people who gave me Bible studies, Dr. Connor, Pastor Nelson. I thank you for all of you who befriended me, you know, when I about 12 and a half years ago, when I came in here and you know kind of quiet and sat around in the back, and um, I'm glad you made me feel comfortable that you showed me what, what a church family is about. In closing here. The words to that Bolt song that I said at the beginning, they're they're kind of powerful, and I guess I'd like to try and sing you that chorus here for the closing. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed thank you for giving to the lord i am so glad you gave those are words like that that we'll be able to hear from people we impacted i think are going to be some of the greatest words we'll be able to ever able to hear heavenly father we thank you for all the blessings that you've given us lord Lord, give us the strength and courage we need so that we may spread your love to other people, Lord, so that we may be witnesses in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, or here in Fox Valley, throughout Wisconsin, throughout the United States, and throughout the world. Lord, just give us that strength that we need so that we may trust, Lord, and we may obey you. And we thank you, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.